Coming up, Star Trek gets a little closer to reality. Self-driving cars get a little closer to reality. AOL Instant Messenger becomes not reality at all. It's Wednesday. Did I say Wednesday? Don't I usually say Tuesday? Well, it is Wednesday, the second best day of the week. I'm Steve Tushankel, and you are listening to the New England Tech Podcast. Tech Podcast is brought to you by Hammerhead Content Management Solutions for media organizations and content creators. You love to write, so why do you hate to publish? Visit us at hammerheadcms.com. Music in the show is by Kurt Baker, Lame Drivers, Monkey Mind, The Pharaohs, and The Barracudas. This week was a momentous week for me in terms of computing as my beloved Chromebook finally died. So everyone... Please pour one out for my Chromebook. I'm one of the few people who does not work in an educational institution or attend an educational institution who owns a Chromebook. But I love Chromebooks and I recommend them highly despite the fact that mine died this week. I evangelize them to everyone and they're not that popular. It always surprises me that they're not more popular. But they are excellent, excellent computers. I had mine for about two and a half years. It's an Acer Chromebook 15, or I should say it was an Acer Chromebook 15. Now, a big part of the point of Chromebooks to a lot of people is that they uh, have small screens. And a 15-inch, which is what the 15 in Acer Chromebook 15 implies, uh, is not a small screen. It's actually a very substantial laptop screen. There are very, very few models that go up to that size, but I happen to like a big screen. Uh, But Chromebooks in general are known for being portable and they're known for being scaled down and they're known for being cheap. Now, the portability is obviously something that's not as important to me, though I find a 15-inch screen to be very portable. People have looked at me before and said, what, you're carrying that around? But no, it's, it's easy. And Chromebooks are super, super light too. Don't forget about that. But the value is just incredible. Now, will a Chromebook do everything? that a Mac will or a Windows laptop will? Absolutely not. And that's not the point, right? But for 250 bucks, which is what I believe I paid for my Chromebook about 250, or about 250 years ago, seems like 250 years, about two and a half years ago, for $250, I really got a laptop that does virtually everything that I needed to do at the time. Now, If you've been following the saga of my cheap Windows laptop that I bought, also for about $250, you know that ultimately my foray into doing a little more web development and certainly doing this podcast was not compatible with a Chromebook. Chromebooks don't run applications of their own. They run things off the web. But think about it. Most people listening... Um, you, You know, forget about what you do at work. I'm sure a lot of people out there work in the technology field, but... Think about your personal use of computers, and I think you'll probably find that most of what you do is on the web, is through a web browser, and that's what Chromebooks are really tailored to do. So if that's what you want, they're great. Now, did mine crap out after two and a half years? Yeah, it did. 
but I paid 250 bucks for it, right? Think about this. I could buy another one for 250 bucks. Maybe it lasts another two and a half years. That's 500 bucks for five years of use of a personal computer, which is a really, really good deal. And they run efficiently. They run cheaply because they're not running heavy applications. They don't need a lot of memory. They very rarely fail. They start up instantaneously. I really don't know why they're not more popular. Now, they're, they've been hugely successful in education. Schools buy them en masse, distrib distribute them to their students. Uh, they, they've really been tremendously successful in education. But for personal use, not so much. I was actually in a Best Buy the other day, and there's this huge section where you can buy personal computers, desktops and laptops, and there's this tiny little area in the corner for the Chromebook. So clearly the Chromebooks aren't selling that much. But honestly, it's probably all you need. I don't know who you are or what you're doing with your personal computer, with your laptop, whatever, but it's most likely all you need. So if you are in the market for a computer anytime soon, whether it be your primary computer, whether it be a secondary computer, um, something you just wanna use for web browsing, something you wanna use for a kid, uh, then I really, really highly recommend it. I can't recommend them highly enough. And I tell everyone I can, and now I'm telling a larger audience here on the podcast. Uh, but ironically enough, because mine just stopped working this week, and I know that that's not the greatest advertisement for them, I still more than ever say, Chromebook, 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 I want everybody to have one. Go get one now. What time is it? It's time for the news. First up this week, Star Trek takes a step closer to reality with the release of Google's new earbuds. Yes, with its new flagship Pixel phone, that's Google's top-end phone that they produce, using the Android operating system, which is my personal mobile operating system of choice, Google has released a set of wireless earbuds. Now, these earbuds are intended to rival the somewhat controversial wireless earbuds that Apple released last year. If you recall correctly, Apple released um, new earbuds with its iPhone last year that don't have uh, a cord, and they're also tremendously expensive, which is something that Apple loves to do. So you can't actually use, without an adapter, traditional earbuds. You can't just go to the store and say, oh, I'm going to pick up this, uh, this set of earbuds for five bucks or whatever. You have to use Apple's wireless earbuds, which are very, very pricey. Well, Google's got their own earbuds now that are wireless. Um, I'm, I believe you can still use traditional ones in the new um, Pixel phone, but you can also use their wireless ones. Uh, now, these wireless earbuds have a very cool feature, and it's not a feature that Google invented. This is something that exists elsewhere, but with Google's adoption of the technology, uh, it will gain wider acceptance, and that is universal translation features. And to anyone who has watched Star Trek before, that is very, very cool. Now, you like Star Trek? There's an essential problem with Star Trek and many other science fiction uh, franchises and properties. And that is how the hell do these people talk to each other, right? You've got humans traveling the galaxy, uh, various quadrants of the galaxy, and encountering alien races, including some they have never encountered before. But they can always talk to each other in what appears 
to you, the viewer, to be English. How does that happen? It happens with the Universal Translator, which I think is some sort of brain implant in the Star Trek universe. Um, I really should know that. I'm, I'm more of a Trekkie or Trekker than that, right? I should know exactly how the Universal Universal Translate work, Translator works. I think it's a brain implant in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the classic comedy science fiction novel or series of novels, um, radio show, various uh, movies and TV shows and forms of entertainment. It's famously a fish that I think also goes in through your ear and uh, translates everything for you. It's called the Babble Fish. There was a translation tool at one time that was very popular on the internet called Babblefish, named after that. Um, but now Google's earbuds will do it for you. They will translate everything for you. You just talk and somebody else is wearing the earbuds and they hear a translation in, in their native language and they talk and you're wearing the earbuds, you hear the translation in your native language. I'll tell you why I think this is so cool. It's so cool because Star Trek and other science fiction properties have proposed a lot of new ideas over the years. In fact, they've often been at the forefront of doing cool new things, um, you know, whether or not they're realistic. And some of them have happened, right? Like the original Star Trek show in, in the 60s. We've actually moved beyond some of that technology, right? They, I mean, they didn't envision things like smartphones, for example. Um, but there are other technologies that they propose that you know, you feel like will never happen, like the transporter, right? Where you start from one place and you beam somebody up and they appear somewhere else. It's not technically, scientifically impossible, but it's very, 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 very difficult to do. Time travel, I should do a feature on this in a future in a future show. Uh, I insist that will never happen. I guarantee you there will never be time travel. Sorry, I know time travel sounds really cool. I certainly think it sounds cool, but it's not going to happen for a variety of reasons. Ever, ever in, in human history, it won't happen. There will be no time travel. The Universal Translator, that's another kind of thing that I thought wouldn't happen. You know, that whole, like, we all understand each other. Now, the brain implant part of it, that hasn't happened yet. Certainly, Google's earbud Universal Translator is a lot more awkward than, you know, it's a little more, more of a lag, and it's going to be imperfect at first than some of the Universal Translators we see on TV and movies. But nonetheless, it's happening, and that's really cool, and that's what I love about technology, because everybody who works in tech believes in the possibilities that are out there, right? But even transporter technology, there are people who are working on that right now. There are probably people who are working on time travel, even though they're wasting their time, as it's not going to happen. So universal translators, you know, it it will happen uh, in the Google way, and maybe it'll happen in the brain implant way one of these days. Next up, AOL Instant Messenger is shutting down. It's the end of an era. AIM, as it is known, the instant messaging app produced by the very, the formerly very, very popular America Online or AOL service, will be shut down as of December 15th of 2017 of this year. Now, it's an end of uh, the end of an era for people of uh, a certain age, of a certain generation, certainly my generation. AIM was once as dominant as any service could be. If you were going to chat with someone online, you kind of had to use AIM. 
in fact, there was a song about it um, by Tyga, who I think uh, is currently dating somebody famous. Maybe somebody Kardashian-affiliated. I don't know. I don't follow that stuff. But he actually had a song about, she don't know my name, she only know my aim. Like, that was a thing. Everyone did it. Yahoo Messenger, forget that. There was no Facebook Messenger. There was no Gchat. There was simply AIM. Now, there were other services, but they weren't as good. ICQ was maybe the most, um, maybe the pioneer of, of chatting uh, online. And that was not affiliated with any major company. They were, that was their own, uh, its own startup from Israel. Um, it was called ICQ, you know, for I seek you, but it was the letters ICQ. Very cute, right? That was really the first one, but I used to use it um, actually back when I was in college in the 90s, and it was awkward. It was awkward as hell. AIM came out and it was simplified, which is really, you know, the key to to a good tech product. How simple is it? How easy is it to use? How shallow is the learning curve? You know, how easy is it to, to get up and running? And AIM was so good. And, it, it, you know, it didn't start in web format. Or actually, not web. I'm, uh, I'm committing a, a faux pas here in defining all internet te- technologies as web technologies, which is a common mistake people make. It wasn't the web. It used internet protocols, but it was its own standalone application, uh, like a Spotify or something like that. You know, same concept. BitTorrent, if you use that. Uh, but AIM uh, originated as part of the AOL client, right? Um, you know, when people were not even on the internet, they were just on AOL, they would go on AOL and they'd, they'd participate in chats with people. And, and AOL decided to move that from their proprietary service to the internet, and it just boomed. Nobody had ever seen anything so easy. Seems hard to believe, doesn't it, that there was a time that you couldn't just bring up a window and chat with a friend immediately, but there was, and AIM changed all that. So what happened? Why why is it gone now when it was once so dominant? Well, there are a few reasons, right? First of all, uh, the brand name, it just became toxic. You know, AOL is a dirty word now. Nobody wants to use anything that's AOL affiliated. And even AOL stopped branding AIM as AOL eventually. They started branding it just AIM, but they couldn't escape those associations. It also didn't go mobile, you know? It didn't, um, it wasn't really compatible. They, they never really like developed any good apps that were compatible with, uh, with smartphones that people were using. And that's how people prefer to chat now. So that was a problem. I think AOL's various corporate parents, it's, you know, they just didn't care about it that much. And uh, it also didn't go to the cloud. Uh, you know, you, you always really needed a standalone application, or at least you did for too long, to chat with, with AIM's protocol. And that's huge. That's huge, right? You don't necessarily want to install everything, anything. Facebook, you can just go to Facebook.com and you can chat with someone. There's an app you can use on your phone, but you can just go on Facebook.com and chat, right? You can use it anywhere. And AIM never emphasized that. So it's a really good example of how market dominance is no guarantee in the tech world, right? Somebody is always going to come up with something better. Somebody is going to do it better, even if they're doing the same thing. So you have to innovate. You have to watch your back. AIM didn't do that. But I am a little sad with this announcement because I had many, many great chats on AIM with many, many great people. So again, like I said, Pour one out for the OG of Internet Chats.
you like me Cause you could go downhill Several weeks ago, the United States House of Representatives unanimously passed a bill. And that's big news because the United States House of Representatives don't do anything unanimously in our current climate of extreme political polarization. So what did everybody agree on? What did the entire House agree on? Well, they agreed to remove safety restrictions on self-driving cars. Every single congressman voted for it. According to the bill, up to 25,000 self-driving vehicles can be on the road in the first year after the legislation passes. Over three years, it will rise to 100,000 new cars every year. A veritable transportation revolution. This is really, really big. Now, remember Back to the Future 2? Everyone remembers Back to the Future 2, right? 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 Everyone remembers it? Well... As we will recall, Back to the Future 2 was set uh, predominantly, I think, maybe more than 50% of the movie, in the year 2015, which was two years ago. The movie came out in 1990 or 89, somewhere around there. It was set uh, what then was 25 years in the future in 2015, which we are now past. And the best-known feature of uh, Back to the Future 2 was, of course... The hoverboard. No, I'm just kidding. Well, maybe it was the hoverboard. But the flying cars were certainly what everyone was talking about, too. So much that in recent years, as Back to the Future 2's 2015 timeline has approached, a lot of people have asked, where are the flying cars? We are supposed to uh, have advanced that point now. Where are they? Well, we didn't get the flying cars. And we never, we may never get the flying cars, frankly. I once talked to somebody who was a um, private pilot who told me, you know, we'll never have flying cars because people don't realize how much harder flying in three dimensions is, or driving, I would say, I should say, in three dimensions is than driving in two dimensions. Most people aren't going to be capable of it. They need too much training. Therefore, there will never be flying cars. Um, so that may never happen, but self-driving cars... That's something that wasn't even envisioned in Back to the Future 2, right? I mean, we talked a little earlier in the news segment about things in technology that, uh, that you know, you don't necessarily envision but end up happening. That's something that Back to the Future 2 didn't envision. They didn't envision that cars could drive themselves. Did I say envision enough there? Envision, envision, envision? It's fun, actually, to say that. Well, that's something that Back to the Future 2 did not envision. Flying cars, it's really, or self-driving cars, I'm sorry, self-driving cars, didn't envision that. Self-driving cars, though, much more important than flying cars, right? I mean, we have the Hyperloop, we don't need uh, uh, flying cars, but uh, self-driving cars, that could really be a huge thing that I'm personally really excited about. You know, it could solve so many transportation difficulties. The extreme traffic that's just building up more and more and more uh, in major cities. I mean, have you driven into Boston lately during rush hour? It's a giant nightmare. Takes me from Rhode Island about two hours to get in, even though it takes me about an hour uh, without uh, traffic during you know the, the non-rush hour time. So um, driving cars, or so self-driving cars, they make everything more efficient in that regard, right? They take the human error out of it. Now, cars actually have increasing amounts of self-driving capabilities even today. You out there in podcast land may in fact have a car 
that self-brakes, right? When it's approaching a car, when it's too close, it hits the brakes for you. You may have a car that parks itself. You may have a car that uh, sounds an alarm when you run out of the lane. And if you were a very, very, very fortunate person, you may even have a Tesla, which has complete self-driving capabilities today, though Tesla does not recommend that you stop paying attention when you drive it. It theoretically can do all the driving itself. Um, so it's out there now, this really, really cool technology. But a lot of people are freaked out by it. Now, a lot of people are freaked out by a lot of new technologies. That's a common theme with new technology over the years. People are scared. Have you seen the Netflix show Black Mirror? It's all about people's fears of technology. It's inspired by people's fears of technology. The, the show basically takes the point of view that we should be scared of technology. Now, sometimes we should be, right? In the case of self-driving cars, I would say not necessarily. Um, everyone's like, but it's a computer driving for me. That freaks me out. There are tons of safety concerns. And you know what? It is a concern, to be honest. But major auto manufacturers and technology companies have spent many, 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 many hours testing these self-driving cars on the road, right? They, they've been in real world, real world situations frequently, a lot more than you may realize. And what has happened is that the track record, the safety track record of the cars has been better than the track record of regular cars. In fact, despite all the driving that these self-driving cars have done, when one of them gets into an accident, it's a news story. It doesn't happen very often. It happens very, very rarely. Last year, a man driving a Tesla on self-driving mode had a fatal accident. And that was the first fatal accident in the history of self-driving cars. Um, what happened was that the self-driving car, I think it was, it was dark, it was rainy. Uh, there was a truck that was making a turn uh, that had like just a big white um, trailer. And the Tesla could not see this truck coming and rammed into the truck and the driver died. Um, and that's very sad. It's very unfortunate. But we have a tendency in a situation like this to forget that this is an isolated incident. Now that doesn't make it right, but people die in not self-driving cars all the time. It's something that we don't like to think about, but with human error, it happens more often than when it's being controlled by a computer. Now, when these cars become widespread, there are going to be more fatal accidents. It's going to happen. People are going to die in these cars. But remember, when it happens that those people were less likely to die than they would in cars that are being controlled by humans. That's just the truth. And I'm sure that they'll never make it down to zero fatalities. That's just not the way things work. That's not the way computers work and that's not the way humans work. But they can bring it down to approaching zero. I'm confident of that because when a self-driving car has an accident, you can analyze what happened and you can fix things to make sure that that thing doesn't happen again. When a human has an accident, what are you going to do? Send everybody to driving school again for these new circumstances? It's not going to happen. You can't control this behavior in humans, but you can with computers. You can with artificial intelligence. And that's what's so great about technology that you can do those things. You know, I've worked for many, many years as a digital product manager, and that's what it's all about, right? 
You release a new product, it's going to have bugs. It's going to have them every time. And when they're out there in the open, when your digital products are out there in the open, you can then figure out what the bugs are. Now, you try to catch the bugs before you even release it to the public. Um, and you do what you can. But you're never going to get all of them. Never. There are always going to be bugs after the release. So you have to catalog those. You have to figure out why they're going wrong. And you have to fix them. And you will eventually end up with a more perfect, if not perfect, digital product. And that's exactly the same thing that's going to happen to self-driving cars. So this is a huge innovation. It's probably the biggest transportation revolution, certainly in my lifetime. Um, and the Hyperloop's another big one. I really love the Hyperloop. Maybe we'll talk more about that later in a future podcast. I'd love to. But uh, the self-driving cars, I can't wait to get behind the wheel or behind no wheel of one, even though I think legally they do have to have a wheel that you can take control of. Some of the uh, the test models didn't, but when you actually drive one, you'll be behind a wheel and there'll be a gas pedal and there'll be a brake. But I am very, very excited about the idea of driving one and having not only a more pleasant driving experience because I'm not doing the work of driving, but also a safer driver experience because all because all this data has been taken into account and there are people out there who are analyzing it and implementing changes based on it to keep me safe and to keep you safe, sometimes from me. I'm not necessarily the great, greatest driver in the world. Um, but, you know, I think this is going to be very, very big. And honestly, it's probably not going to be that long in the scheme of things before everybody is behind the wheel of a self-driving car. So they're coming. They're coming. And you can bet that when they're here, they will be here to stay. Everybody's favorite tech company, Facebook, has been under fire lately for allowing Russian ads to influence the 2016 election. The idea is that Russia, the country, took out Facebook ads in an attempt to swing votes, most likely to Donald Trump, but Facebook is not revealing exactly what ads those were. Now, all this is happening as Mark Zuckerberg the founder of Facebook, has been making moves suggesting he may run for president in 2020. Certainly this is interfering with his plans to run for president. I think he was definitely going to run. Uh, with this news, with these new controversies, uh, it's becoming a lot harder. But the relationship between the tech world and politics is only getting thornier and it's only getting more complicated. It is a critical relationship. It's a relationship that at one time in the recent past was fairly immature and it's certainly gotten a lot more mature as tech has gotten more important. There are so many things to consider when it comes to technology companies' in, uh, involvement in politics, their influence in politics. So, so many different ideas to consider and uh, misbehaviors to consider. 
the good, the bad, and we don't have time to talk about it all on this podcast. So I promise you we will go way deeper into that next week. Thanks once again for listening, everyone, on this Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. But we will be back next Tuesday with more news, more commentary, maybe an interview. This was the first show with no interview. Will I do an interview next week? Stay tuned to find out. I like the interviews, don't you? I like them a lot. But, you know, sometimes uh, you just don't get them together. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. I can do interviews. I cannot do interviews. I implore you to listen anyway. Suspenseful to find out whether or not there'll be an interview, right? Right? It's kind of cool. Like, oh my God, is he going to talk to somebody? I don't know. I don't know. I usually review uh, reveal in the intro whether or not I'm going to talk to somebody. So you don't even have to listen that long, right? Listen to the intro. If I don't mention an interview, don't listen to the rest. If you if you're so interview hungry, you don't like listening to me for the whole time. Is that it? Is that your problem? That's it. Well. I don't know. <laughs> I love you too. I'll be back next week. My name is Steve Tishakel. Courage.